coming up on the Branding Deep Dive podcast. Yeah, I mean, this really is personal branding. Like, one, do you, is your product val- valuable? Are you valuable as a candidate? Okay, can you then, like, make the actual um, advertisement accurately demonstrate the value of your product as efficiently as possible? So you want to work on the actual advertisement and make it really good before you put it in front of anyone. Right. Then you can work on like, okay, how do I most efficiently get to the right people, you know, to do advertising? Yeah. 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 It's literally literally really, really. And I think LinkedIn is the difference between targeted advertising versus let me just throw flyers everywhere, which is what, which is what online uh, applications are. Let me just throw my flyer into people's mailboxes. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, an online application is just like a company's mailbox and people are throwing their applications in the mailbox. Do you really want to do that or do you want to put it directly in front of someone's face? Mm -hmm. But again, you got to remember the actual advertisement and the actual product have to be good. Once you've set those things, you can kind of focus on that. This is Ahmed Chima and welcome to the Branding Deep Dive podcast. If you're new here, this is a podcast where we have in-depth discussions about what brands are doing well to drive customer loyalty and how you can take those principles and apply them to your own brand. Today, we're talking to Safwan Mir. Safwan has spent a lot of time thinking through and trying different career paths, and he has a lot to share from that journey. He recently went through a career change from data and analytics to product management and went through the whole recruiting process from start to finish with several big companies. In this episode, we dive deep into how to set yourself apart, how to connect with people on LinkedIn, and the role that brands play on your resume. If you're in the job market or are looking to make a career move and you're struggling to get your resume seen, this episode is a must listen. By the way, Safwan is an old friend, so this episode may be a little bit more informal than what you're used to. Now, here's Safwan Mir. Safwan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming thank on. Thank you, thank you. Honored to be on your show. Long time fan of Ahmed Chima and his work and you know, I've been a past collaborator and honored to be now a current collaborator. Yeah, I um, normally like when people are praising me, I'll like cut them off, but I wanted to hear what you were going to say. Yeah. So, <laughs> so thank you. Um, for the audience that may not be familiar with who you are, what you do, uh, can you give them a brief introduction? And then uh, I would hope you'd kind of touch on so this podcast is going to be a little bit more informal because I know you as a, as a friend. So the mm-hmm. audience is listening. They're going to be like, dude, this guy, like what kind of, <laughs> he's asking questions like so unprofessionally, whatever, but <laughs> You know, since we know each other, it's going to be like that. If you don't touch on why it is that I brought you on, I'll make sure that I will uh, touch on that a little bit. But yeah, can you give him an introduction? Yeah, sure. So I'll, how about I start with how I know you? Um, I went to undergrad with Chima. We were in undergrad at the same time. Um, I'm both... getting scared. I feel like you're going to bring up some like <laughs> Me, really Chima, Chima. I was a frequent, um, frequently worked with Chima on some of his films and other stuff that he was doing in his personal project. So um, Jim is definitely a close friend. I've had a lot of good times doing things with him. Um, where, where else do you want me to go with this introduction? Do you want me to introduce like why I'm actually, why you brought me on? Or <laughs> yes. do you want me to introduce? That's kind of the purpose of okay. introduction. So but I, since you brought that up, I, I did want to mention a story. The first project that we worked on that was like a serious project together. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. This guy... <laughs> We had a deadline. Let's say we had like three weeks or something to get. Wait, hold on. Can I cut you off quickly? Chima's definition of a serious project is an MSA skit. Just okay, keep going. Hey, look, we had a project that we had to deliver and it was going to be presented, right? Okay. So that is, in my mind, that is serious in the sense that like my name is attached to it uh, and, you know, it's going to be viewed by people. Mm-hmm. So we had this serious project. Uh, and of course, it is like a comedy project. Don't get me wrong. Like it was for fun. But we have this you know, we spend a solid week working on the script. We create this whole plan and everything. <laughs> and then every five minutes, Safwan had like a key role in the in the movie. And every five minutes he comes up, he's like, Chima, this is, this is stupid. I have a better idea. <laughs> do you remember what that was? What your idea was? You want to share I do, it? I, do. I mean, no, I think it'd be funny coming from you. <laughs> every five minutes is, dude. Not five minutes. This is maybe okay. every like. All right, that was a little bit of an exaggeration, yeah, but great. like I want the audience to know that this was such a pain that I still remember to this day. This guy would come up with the same idea and pitch it over and over again in different ways. So like sometimes like he'd pull it off as if like he had a new idea. So like we'd be doing something, this about the other thing. 
you're like, oh, shoot, I just had like a, a new idea. And you're like, okay, like maybe he actually has something good. Yeah. When you're on set, you got to be prepared for like a random idea that can change things and uh, really take things to the next level. So I always listen, right? Yeah. So Juan had the same idea every single time. <laughs> and that was this. Here was his idea. Essentially, it was that, hey, we make this whole skit and the ending is just at the time there was a John Cena thing that was going on. Yeah, yeah. Can you explain what that was? I, think I still was don't just, understand. I think it was just like it's like a punk thing, like you know, where like you'd have the whole thing and you're expecting some crazy ending, and then it would just be John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally, like that, that that trend was going at the time, and his idea was like, okay, like this scene is sick. What if we just like we did this like this way, that way, and then and then we just John Cena. It's <laughs> just like. Every single time, it was like, Safwan, dude, we need to get this done, man. Please just focus for a little bit. Um, that was kind of how our relationship started. And um, that is kind of the the story that I remember Safwan by. Uh, and I hope his employers are not listening because yeah, thank you. I think he has, um, he has grown since then. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, let's talk about why, why you're on the podcast. Yeah, so I am a. I currently work in product and data science. I did my undergrad again with Chima in physics. I did a one-year master's at the University of Michigan um, in business. Um, after that, started working at Capital One. Started working at Capital One um, in their analyst development program. Did that for about a year and a half before, or about a year before I started job searching um, and really utilizing. LinkedIn and a few other resources to make sure that I set myself up in the best position possible. Um, and then Alhamdulillah was able to land a role at Current, which is a neobank startup in New York, um, which I'm really excited about. So Chima wanted me to come on and talk a little bit about my process and about utilizing LinkedIn and um, especially taking advantage of how hot the market is right now and, and um, how much there is in terms of opportunity there. Yeah, that's a, that's a great summary. I think let's start with, you said you were a physics background. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you end up in product and data science in the first place? And then now you're in a, in a product management role at Current, or you're going to be starting soon, inshallah. So how did, walk me through that, right? Like, I don't know how many other physics undergrads that I know that are in the product management space. Maybe you know more. but Yeah, so I'm actually in product data science. So it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more um, purely focused on you know, using analytics to make product decisions than having to do the actual execution, uh, which PMs do more of. But I did interview for both product management and data science roles. So actually, you'd be surprised, but, you know, physics is actually a pretty common background for a lot of people who are in tech and a very common background for people who are in data science and analytics. My manager is actually a PhD in physics. So oh, really? <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of the people that are in the data science space are physics PhDs or they did physics or they did something like that. It's a really transferable skill set. Um, just because understanding the logic and stuff like that you do a lot of things mathematically that translate directly um there and i think a lot of physics is utilizing math to understand real world problems Mm -hmm. um i think more so than any other field you know math you know if you're studying math you really understand how to do math right you don't necessarily understand the real world application as much if you're doing other scientific fields you don't really have like the mathematical rigor as much whereas i think physics is the most transferable like using very high level mathematics to make real world decisions and understand really big complex problems um which is really what i think data science and and especially in the product space comes down to right You're, Mm -hmm. you're trying to understand how to take and solve real big real world problems um and what product features and what product um capabilities you want to build to solve those problems that really is a a very similar process so how i actually got from physics to product data science i think first to background like how i even got to physics is is kind of weird like chima knows in undergrad i think i had like eight different majors at one point um cycled through everything i really didn't know what i wanted to do um kind of defaulted then to doing pre-med um because parents are paying for school and uh, <laughs> it was made sense to just do what they wanted me to do. Got to my senior year and I had cho- I chose physics because I did not want to take biology classes and I was it was just a lot more efficient for me to do math. I was good at math. I was good at that analytical um, skill set, but I didn't really have any idea of like 
I'm like, I had no interest in doing academia or doing a PhD or doing any of that. And still hadn't figured out what I wanted to do. I, th- I don't think it was until my senior year that I was like, you know, I want to get into the business world and into like the corporate world and, and do that kind of thing. And um, specifically, I think I really started getting into economics and I really started getting into trying to understand the overall economic system a lot more. There was a lot of interest there. So I started running between different options. Like I, I think senior year is when I was really like, you know what, what people are telling me in terms of my career and just listening to pe- the people around me that um, kind of view their vocation as just um, kind of independent of what they want to do. Like it's just a job. Like, you know, most people when they're making their decision, decisions about their career are making decisions like, um, oh, like, you know, Am I going to have a good life? Am I going to make a lot of money? Um, is it easy enough for me to get there? And that's it, right? And am I going to enjoy the day-to-day? But that didn't really ever resonate with me because um, I just, I have a, a very tough time putting up with BS, right? I have a very tough time putting up with like jumping through hoops. I think more tough time than, than most people do. Like I think a lot of people can do it, like they'll do it and they'll go through it. But like for me, it's like hell. It, like I have to have a really good reason to to jump through hoops. So, um, and and for me, nothing. Even even when I was exploring careers, I, I didn't really have like some bigger reason. So I kept trying to find it, kept trying to find it, it wasn't working. And so I was just kind of like floating, <laughs> like just kind of like biding my time, treading water until I found something I really liked. Um, and I think that's my senior year. I started doing a lot of research. It's like, okay, like how can I actually set myself up to have impact that resi- like, um, that resonates with like who I want to be and what I want to become and like what I want to do. Um, and then what I did was I started doing a lot of research into, and this is co- coincided with what I was doing my senior year in physics, started doing a lot of research into like wealth gaps and wealth curves and what causes huge distinctions between people who are really rich and people who are really pure, poor and like how these wealth gaps and wealth curves develop over time compared to like physics systems. Um, so just a long summary short you know, things really go out of whack when, you know, people have the capacity to save that normal people don't, right? So like, if I can save more in any interaction that we do with each other, then I'm going to eventually, you know, reach that exponential curve where you have a huge amount of wealth more than the normal person does. And there's a huge distinction there and everything starts to go out of whack. Um, I just became like really passionate about like, okay, this is amazing. It's like a big world problem. Uh, a lot of people are not thinking about solving it. Like, I want to work on it. You know, it's something I want to do. So I started looking like, okay, what's the most effective way to do it? Should I do a PhD in econ, which is something I was considering? Should I do, um, I guess, that was like a big thing. Like, should I do a PhD in econ, go into academia? Uh, what else could I possibly do? Started talking to some of my professors and they were like, you know what, you should go into industry. Like, go into industry, work in the field, work there. And then after some time and you've built some skills, you can start to work on the problem directly. Because at the time I was like, okay, like maybe I'll go work for the World Bank or maybe I'll go work for like a nonprofit or do something like that. Um, but again, like I was sitting on a physics major with like no real world skills. Like I didn't know what to do. So I was like, okay, like I'm going to try and do consulting, right? And all the research that I did was like, okay, like if you really have no idea how you want to apply your skill set or do anything yet, just do consulting. <laughs> Right? Do consulting, figure it out for three or four years, and then you can transition into almost anything and like, you know, whatever industry you want, whatever impact you want. So I'm okay, like senior year, how am I going to get into consulting? Um, again, went down that rabbit hole and I was like, okay, the thing that makes most sense is to do business school and then uh, recruit for consulting after that. Applied, got into a few different schools, was deciding and uh, decided to go to U of M, just close to home, easy, and it was a year. So did that and I started recruiting for consulting there as well as working on some of the startup stuff that I'm tr- currently trying to work on while I was there, learn as much as possible. Um, while I was recruiting consulting, the Capital One uh, opportunity also came up. And so Capital One basically recruits against a bunch of these consulting firms. And um, the reason is that it's just cheaper to have internal consultants than it is to hire external consultants. So I ended up doing a lot of the same work. And for me, when I was looking and, and uh, weighing offers, it just made more sense, right? The life was a lot better. You're getting paid just as much. And I was or be able to work on exactly what I wanted to work on, which is learning about the financial service industry. So it's kind of how I ended up there. And then there, um, I think 
I got lucky because a real consultant skill set, I don't think is as data oriented. It's a lot more, I guess, like big picture, like it, they're both big picture, but it's a lot more, I guess, like soft skills in terms of just um, organizing slides and doing all of that. Whereas I did some of that as well, but I also got to get a little bit more technical in terms of what I wanted to do. I had a little bit more of that flexibility there, um, which combined with like the stuff I was doing in my physics undergrad anyway, you know, we're doing a lot of data analytics type work, um, set me up well to be able to have the flexibility there to like recruit for product management or recruit for analytics um, types roles. And so um, ended up interviewing for both. And I, I will say that like early in your career, one thing that I've learned and people told me, but I didn't really realize at the time, you know, how important it was, was to just put yourself in the position where you have the most flexibility because you really don't know like where your skill set is going to go or where your skill set is really going to, you know, push you to, to, to want to specialize in. So going to places where you have flexibility to work between job functions, between industries, all that kind of stuff depends what you want. Like if you're, if you don't know what industry you want, you want to consulting makes sense because you can go between industries. If you don't know what job function you want, it makes more sense to go into a role where like you have the flexibility to do, you know, product management, to do uh, data science, to do, you know, pure corporate strategy, to do a bunch of different things. Because like when you're coming out of undergrad, pe- most people don't have a very cursory understanding of what these roles even are and, and what they, how they function. So you, you really, it, it's a tough decision to say like, I'm going to specialize right out of undergrad, right? Uh, you want to be more of like, you get into the job function and you start to learn what you really like and what you're really good at and where you excel and, and, and where you're better and then be able to specialize as you move on. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, sorry. There. I just kind of like <laughs> went on for 20 minutes. But. I think just to add on to that, like I was an information systems major. Yeah. And then like the jobs I've done since then have had nothing to do with that. Yeah. Right? And it's not like, I mean, I wasn't super passionate about it. And like, I, like I'm interested, right? Mm-hmm. I'm someone that's like interested in a lot of things, right? Like, which is why we have this podcast even. Um, I was laughing in there in a, for a little bit because uh, you said you had a low tolerance for BS. And mm-hmm. As you said that, I was reminded of all the BS you gave me. <laughs> but, um, Tima invited me on here to take <laughs> shots at me for 40 minutes. That's it. You had no, no intention of uh, actually... Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I didn't want to... You mentioned uh, the startup you're working on. Do you want to... Are you comfortable sharing uh, what that is and what you're working on or... We yeah. Not talk about it. So yeah. So broadly, I think in Islamic finance, there's a lot less access to financial resources than in traditional finance, even. And and you're seeing that fintechs or financial technology companies are making it easier for everyone to access financial tools that you traditionally wouldn't have uh, been able to access. So great example of that would be Robinhood made it easy for anybody to trade any fractional amount with no fees. All right. That's a huge thing. Right for any American to be able to trade, um, or anyone in the world technically to be able to trade, uh, as long as they can have the compliance to be able to do that, to trade at, a, at no cost, no fees, um, and to be able to trade at fractional amounts. Right, so that made financial resources more accessible to people. Um, you see now with you know a lot of what cryptocurrencies are trying to do, they're trying to make safe financial tools available to everyone. What that inspired was okay so we're seeing this is a relatively relatively recent thing it's a 10 year past 10 years thing and it's making traditional finance more accessible if we're thinking about islamic finance and just tools and resources are compliant with uh, islamic laws they're way less fungible right they're way more um, difficult to access they're archaic Um, they're really tough for people to get their hands on and if we look at Muslim countries in general, they're some of the least banked countries in the world. They're some of the least, um, uh, the countries with the, with the most struggle of actually accessing financial resources. If you think about stories of people actually just storing cash under their bed, probably most likely going to be a Muslim country. Um, so why, why is that? Two, two reasons. One, we're pretty poor as countries and poorer countries have less access to those financial resources in the first place. Um, secondly, uh, a lot of Muslims are very harsh and, and strict in terms of like, we don't want to accept, you know, traditional financial systems coming in and spreading and and uh, utilizing themselves in, in their country. So most Muslims are staunch, like we're not going to deal with banks that are due interest and we're not going to deal with banks that um, do that kind of thing. And, and there's no good alternative. 
good, good alternatives? There's no, there's no good alternatives. There's not really real big, large scale Islamic financial institutions that are able to scale at the level of, you know, big banks or even fintech companies that now are trying to scale at, at, at that level, right? So if Robinhood wanted to scale to all of these countries, um, you know, they could do it, but then, you know, would Muslims be happy with trading with um, debt instruments and other type of instruments and, and working with a company that isn't, you know, necessarily compliant with what they're trying to do or, or, or what their restrictions are. So for that reason, it inspired us to be like, okay, let's take some of these things that are kind of at the cutting edge of financial technology and, and try and apply them to Islamic finance and try and make um, specific Islamic finance tools more, expe- more accessible. Um, we were working on something very specific. Um, I can go into it a little bit, which was uh, we were trying to build a stable coin. Um, this is probably going to be Chinese to some people, but we're trying to build a stable coin that was backed by Islamic bonds or Sukuk. Um, we ran into a lot of problems doing it because even the stable coin market is just now. So this is two years ago. What is a stable coin? So a stable coin is any cryptocurrency that has a level of stability, right? It's not necessarily supposed to fluctuate in price a crazy amount. It's supposed to follow some sort of stable um, price narrative, whether it be a growth appreciation or stay the same price, that kind of thing. An example of stable coins would be like Tether, right? It's your classic example of a stable coin. Um, DAO. Um, these are kind of the big ones that you can think of right now, which are just pegged to the dollar, basically, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one to one to the dollar. It's going to be the price of the dollar. Um, but what we were working on was stablecoin and probably you could consider it a, um, a an investment token, right? So if, if you're backing a, a token with a basket of Islamic bonds, it's supposed to appreciate at the rate of those bonds. So all of that's really unimportant, you know, what's really important is that what it was supposed to do is make it very easy for anyone in the entire world to access a safe um, and Islamically compliant investment mechanism, right? So these basket of bonds, right, you're tracking the market are going to go up by like 3% a year. Um, and if you can just hold those, right, you can transact in those. There you go. It's much better than a savings account. It's not going to crash and it's not going to go through some crazy ups and downs. Um, and you have a safe store of value for your money. So if you're looking at people that are in kind of situations where they're poor, you know, they don't have a huge amount of wealth, they're able to save small amounts. Um, you might be in a country where it's crazy hyperinflation and you can't deal with hyperinflation. What could you do currently? Like you could buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, you could try and transfer your cash into US dollars and hold US dollars. Or the alternative is, you buy this asset, expect a three percent rate of uh, return per year. It's a safe, Islamically compliant tool, um, and it's a better investment than Americans who are putting their money into bank accounts. It's a better investment than anything, any of that. So, so now there's a couple. Com- I don't want to name drop because I don't want to get in trouble or anything like that. But there's a couple companies that are doing uh, under the they're under the banner of Islamic finance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are they? not doing anything like this or, or like are they working on i know so i know there's like a mutual fund there's mutual funds there's etfs that are uh, quote-unquote islamic uh yeah those are all fine this is the thing etfs and mutual funds are targeted at people who live in developed countries right oh, okay you can't you can't invest in an etf or mutual fund as some random person from bangladesh right mm-hmm. can't invest in an etf or a mutual fund S- sorry to our bangladeshi listeners oh yeah <laughs> or you, actually you can't invest in crypto either from bangladesh. It's funny, <laughs> but you if you're living in uh the majority of these countries not like you can go and invest in the u.s uh stock exchange you can't there's there's kyc laws it's like very very difficult for you to be able to you know go ahead and um have access to those tools, right? Like me and you can access an ETF. Me and you can access a mutual fund. This coin or like what we were trying to do with this coin wasn't really built for us, right? Mm. The whole point is, and and this is kind of where crypto is trying to disrupt the market is it's giving huge widespread access to hopefully anyone, right? Why do you think people in Venezuela or people in countries where their, their currency is hyperinflating overnight are flooding to Bitcoin? Why? Because their governments are blocking them from transferring their money into dollars or into any other asset. So they have to, you know, through side channels, transfer their money into Bitcoin and hold their wealth in Bitcoin because their uh, currency is inflating overnight. Um, similarly, this would be like an alternative to that, right? And it would, you know, 
the point is widespread access. Widespread access to a 3% rate of return would do two things. It would improve the amount of flow of money that we actually have into the Islamic financial system, and it would increase the validity and the creation of these Islamic bonds and cause that market to grow, while also potentially just spreading access like crazy. Because right now, to get an Islamic bond, you need like at least Mm -hmm. $2,000. What percentage of Muslims in the world have that kind of cash just sitting around? Also, you need to, they're like limited exchanges. Like, for example, like Britain, for example, does some Islamic bonds that they issue. Um, and it's like an auction, like, you know, you have to come in and bid, do all this kind of stuff. And then it sells out and you have no diversity there because you might be able to buy one. You can't buy a bunch of them. So we kind of take care of all that on the, we were hoping to take care of all that on the back end, spread out those tokens and do it. We did, we have kind of like, that was the initial idea. Mm -hmm. We've kind of transitioned from there. We just didn't think that it was realistic at the time, um, into a few other ideas, um, that we're still working on and we're still kind of trying to come up with. But the big kind of uh, goal that we had was, you know, we want to take some of what we're learning in the tech industry and in the finance industry and like, you know, what's happening on the cutting edge of fintech and be able to apply it to Islamic finance to make, you know, real Islamic compliant tools accessible there. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I was going to, th- there's some questions that I had in that space, but it's not really the topic. Yeah, this is like completely <laughs> off of the LinkedIn thing. Yeah. I was like, so let's let's bring it over to kind of what we were talking about. So the reason why I brought you on uh, and asked you to come on is because you're someone that recently. Um, so l- let's just, let me backtrack, right? So most people, when they're trying to apply for a job, they go on like LinkedIn, they go on whatever it may be, Indeed, right? And they look for jobs and then they submit their resume, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the statistics are, but it's probably like really bad in terms of like success rate, especially at large corporations, right? Like you have that filter that checks your resume for like keywords or whatever it may be. And then from there, like you're lucky to have like a recruiter look at it, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And you're someone that in the last couple of months has had numerous interviews and uh, numerous offers as well. So just wanted to pick your brain on what some best practices are for people that are in college or even people that are looking to make a career switch, uh, how do you actually make sure that your resume is getting looked at in the first place? And then from there, we can, I think we can talk about the actual interview process, how to, how to do all that. But let's, let's start with, I know you, you're one of the few people I know that pay for LinkedIn premium. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about that, right? Like is LinkedIn how you're doing all this? Yeah. I mean, I think LinkedIn's like a a fantastic tool. Um, You know, you, you have, even more than um, necessarily like helping you get a job, you just have access to so much information that's really, really valuable. And I think the, the number one thing that I'll say is that if you're going on the journey of trying to understand the job market and trying to understand where you want to go and trying to understand what kind of roles and companies you want to be in, uh, you know, information is your best friend, right? And to be able to access a database of people with their employment history and where they're working at and who they're connecting to and who they're, you know, uh, what they're posting and all of that, that's invaluable, right? So like, and with, I mean, the reason I pay for premium is you can search up an unlimited amount of people. And a lot of time that I, I spent like figuring out where I wanted to go and like where, to, what type of places I wanted to work at and who I potentially wanted to work with was stalking people and seeing like who who who's worked where like what have they done like where are they in their career now like you know you want to gain as much of that information as possible because it helps inform you on like what kind of decision you want you want to make even if you're saying like okay like i want to be somewhere in 10 years find the people that are where you want to be in 10 years figure out exactly what they did um start to develop some sort of pattern of like places that make sense to gain that learning um let me give you a perfect example Let's say you want to get into, uh, like you want to get into product at a very specific company, right? You can, or like a very specific program, you want to get into the RPM at Facebook. Go look at what people did before they did the RPM at Facebook. Go look at what schools they're at. Go look at, you know, what kind of projects they've done on the side. You know, build like a 
comprehensive list of all of that, you have a lot of ideas of what you can do to set yourself up to get there. Yeah, you know, am I below the bar or any, any of these things, right? Am I below the bar and the quality of school that I'm going to? Am I below the bar and the type of internships that I've had? Am I below the bar and the extracurricular stuff and type of, uh, type of person and profile the person is? You can benchmark yourself. It really is, is a way to benchmark yourself against people that, that are going for or in the same position that you're, you're looking to get into. I think that's invaluable. If I'm looking to make a career switch right now, I need to go to LinkedIn. For, I guess you start with the position you're trying to get to and then working backwards from there. What did the people that are in this position do to get there? Yeah. Right? Now, is part of the process, part of what you do also reaching out to people? and Yeah, of course. With them? So of course. How, how do you like I, – I just feel like for me, uh, and I'm sure I, I speak for some of the audience members here too, is that like reaching out to someone that you don't know on social media is just weird. Right, like no, I don't think so. For me, right, like so. What what is some? You just gotta get over it. Just gotta slide (laughs) in people's DMs, bro. You just gotta go and be like, hey, like, um, is there like what do you what do you like? Let's say you brought up the Facebook RPM program, right? So let's talk about that. Right, you have you find someone on LinkedIn that you think is pretty similar to your background and can offer you some feedback, some advice for how to get into this. What is how do you slide into that DM? Um, so you just say, I mean, I, I don't think you have to be anything crazy about it. This is what uh, you also need to realize is like the people who you're reaching out to have less time than you do. The worst thing you can do is waste someone's time, mm. right? So get to the point right away. You know, hey, you know, I really liked your background, really interested in the Facebook RPM program, um, would love to get advice on how you got there and what you did um, and, you know, what you can and, 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 and yeah, basically, like, would just love to get advice, blah, blah, blah. Then what I would do is just, again, like be very clear and concise about what you need to know from the person, right? Mm. Are you looking for a referral? Are you looking for um, this person to tell you, you know, give you, tell you what they put on the resume? Are you looking for this person to talk to you about the interview process? Like be very specific and precise about like what you're asking for um, and then go from there. Mm, okay so but don't like overstress it like i think a lot of times people will think that they have to send this like template message that will get people to respond and then um once they get the template message you get them on the phone and then you ask them all these interesting questions and then once you ask them all the interesting yeah you (laughs) you do this and you build a relationship with them and then after a while you know they help you out i'll be honest people don't have time for that yeah i don't have time like if someone's gonna hit hit me up and they're going to ask me a bunch of inane questions for 30 minutes before they get to the point of what they want. What did you say? What, what kind of questions? Inane. I, word of the day here. What thank does that you, mean? It just means like mind numbing. Like, I think <laughs> it better mean that because if it doesn't, I'm going to sound so stupid. Hold on, let me look it up. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. So, I mean, you don't want to do that. You want to be genuine to the point and like, you know, get to it. And also like you have to humble yourself and realize it's a numbers game. You know, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter who you are. You know, the majority of people are not going to respond to you. Mm. It's just, it's reality. Like you, for you to expect that like 50% of people to respond to you, I don't know who you are, but for me, that's not how it worked. I think total, I think I sent out like over a hundred messages and I got like 10 to 12 responses. Mm. Um, Even that's, I mean, compared to like cold. So I'll give you an example here. I think a lot of people, and this is kind of what held me back when I was reaching out to podcast guests is like, man, I don't have connections in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. And so I finally just started like cold emailing people and like 90% of people won't respond. Yeah. But really all that matters is like you get that one person. You get the, you're the one person. You and get then, 10 people. That's it. Yep. And then that opens the door for something else. That opens the door for something 100%. else. 100%. You need to just start shooting your shot. Ooh. Yeah. I mean. I, I, Shoot your shot. So you I need to DMs. start just. Uh, yeah. 2021. <laughs> no, you need to just start reaching out to people. You just start asking and, and not get hung up on. um you know, one person not responding, another person responding. I think the advantage right now too is it's a candidate's market. So the majority of people who are hiring or they're they're trying to hire. But you, this is what you also have to realize: you connect with one person. Let's say, for example, you want to work at Gmo. What's a company that you want to work at? I don't want to work at a company. <laughs> All right, like okay, let's Bad just say let, in, in, let's create hypothetical. No, no Gmo wants to work at Amazon. Yeah, let's say Google. I'm okay, Google. Work at Amazon. Yeah, so let's okay. say Google. Right? Well, Gmo wants to work at Google, and he wants to work in Google in what function? Uh, chief executive officer. Okay. All right. <laughs> You're really aiming high there. Let's just say you want to be a PM at Google. Uh-huh. Um, 
you do something as simple as connect with a few PMs at Google mm-hmm. on LinkedIn. Maybe you don't even send them a message yet. You just go through, connect with as many of the PMs as you can. Connect with as many of the recruiters as you can as well. What you'll start to see is that on your feed, whenever someone says like, I'm hiring PMs for my team, those PMs and those recruiters are the ones liking it. Those PMs mm-hmm. and those PM recruiters are the one posting it. Those PMs and those recruiters are the one commenting on it, right? There you go. Your funnel of information of like who to reach out to, what hiring manager to reach out to has become incredibly clear. What you want to get to is a point where the person that you're reaching out to has a matched need. They're looking for people that have your same talent. So a lot of the times the people that you're connecting with will be like, oh, my team is hiring. If you're interested, please reach out. Oh, or the recruiter will be like, oh, I'm hiring for this position. If you're interested, reach out. So that first person you connect with, that first person you message might eventually lead to that person who you can connect with for the job. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was a single job that I wanted to apply for that after three or four messages of people or maybe like 10 connecting with different people, I didn't find someone who was hiring for that job. I didn't find someone who was like, yes, I'm looking for people for this job. It really, like it's a short funnel. You'd be surprised how short that funnel is of people to get to the person who's hiring for the job. And then once you have that, I mean, you can just put your resume right in front of the person hiring for the job. What better, there's no better way to cut through the funnel of, of this thing. So the way that I really like to think about it, and this is the way that you think about, you know, a lot of, um, kind of any kind of product decision or anything right? like, like what is the funnel to be able to get to what you want right so if you're thinking of traditionally like most people apply you send your resume into an online portal that resume is then amongst thousands of resume that the recruiters look at maybe they don't look at maybe aws or whatever system looks at it they get to the recruiter then the recruiter looks at a certain amount then those resumes then get to the hiring manager. The hiring manager says, okay, fine, like we'll interview these people. Then you get into the interview process, right? If you can cut through that whole funnel and get straight to the hiring manager, mm-hmm. your rate of success is improved, right? Because at each level of that funnel, the amount of people that get through it is less and less and less and less and less, and less, and less right? So like at that first part, actually like the, the filter or like the amount of people that get cut out is the most at the earliest parts of the funnel, right? So like of the people applying online, maybe 1% are actually getting looked at by the recruiter. Right? And of the people getting looked at by the recruiter, maybe like 10% of that is getting to the hiring manager, right? So you've infinite, like not infinite, you've much increased your odds by cutting through those layers of the funnel, right? So if you're confident that applying online, and you might be like, you might be in a position where this is another thing to think about is a lot of this is there's certain things that, that are being looked at at each level of the funnel. Like where did you work previously? How much experience do you have? Where did you, maybe where did you go to school? Uh, what type of role did you have before? If you think that you're already at the top of the funnel on each step, yeah, just shoot your, and I did this too. I shot my application in a bunch of online portals. I think I got like one interview that way, one or two. No, I got a couple of interviews that way. But the majority of my interviews came from reaching out people directly on LinkedIn, you know, mm. talking to people directly on LinkedIn. Why? Because I could cut through that whole funnel. And again, like with that funnel also comes time. It takes two weeks for these uh, applications to get reviewed online before they get to the recruiter. And then a week for that, and then a week for them. To re- it takes forever from when you apply to online to actually getting it. So you might might not even coincide with what your timeline is, right? Mm. If you want to just cut to the chase and cut to the point and save time, it just makes sense to subvert the line. It's like cutting in line. It's like <laughs> cutting in line and, and putting your resume where you want it to be. So it's just a lot more effective. I think I hear a lot of people that are like, bro, I'm applying so much. I just applied to 20 jobs today, blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm not hearing back. It's like, yeah, you're not gonna hear back for like four weeks. And you might hear back of one from 100 or maybe one from like 300, one from 400. Again, it depends like how good is, again, there's other things that from how good is your resume? What's your previous experience? How much are you polishing up your things? There's just many, many things that you can do within the process of looking for a job that increases your percentage of success at different levels in that funnel. First thing before anyone does any of this is like, make sure your resume is amazing, right? Make sure that you are, you know exactly what you're applying for and make sure on your resume, it's exactly made so that if anyone can look at it in like 15 seconds, they know that like, oh, this guy is looking for this job and this guy has the skills to fulfill this job. Because the majority of people are not looking for your resume for more than 15 seconds. That's a huge thing. The next thing is again, like if you're using LinkedIn or that kind of thing, make sure your profile is set up for that too. Right. That is going to increase your rate of success at any of the levels of these funnel that you that you want to be at. Um, then the next thing is to, again, make sure that you actually have, like even before that, is to make sure that you actually have the transferable skills. Like, does it even make sense for you to jump into this role? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, again, think that it is a hot market, so you can kind of overshoot 
there's a lot of jobs that I got interviews for that I was not even remotely qualified for. You know, I mean, if you think about years of experience or that kind of thing. Um, in fact, none of the roles that I interviewed at matched up with my years of experience, except for one. So um, be ambitious there. Like, there are things that you can be ambitious for, um, but make sure that you understand where your experience puts you at and you're, and you're setting yourself up best with that experience. Yeah, I think one thing that I wanted to dive into here is from a brand perspective, right? Like this is all a game of perception, right? Yes, and absolutely. How much, there's, there's a few different aspects that you kind of, laid out right like your resume your linkedin profile um and then of course like the actual interview process we can get into that as well but like how much weight would you put on each of these things like what is in your opinion where should you be focusing the majority of your energy um based on what you're saying it sounds like the actual process of getting like networking leads right like how i'm getting this is that you know, someone who knows you is much more likely, like if, if I'm putting my weight behind Safwan Mir, right? Like that is a stamp of approval from someone that's already in the company. And I'm like, hey, check this out. Uh, you know, let's bring him in, right? Um, so I actually disagree there. I don't think that really makes that much of a difference in the hiring process. No, in the reaching out on LinkedIn and stuff? So again, like just to clarify, right? If you're trying to get me a job at Amazon, no, I'm saying I'm hiring. Oh, you're hiring. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. And so, like, I know Safwan through LinkedIn. Even it, may, it might be a second yeah, connection yeah, 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 or whatever, yeah, yeah. right? Like, he reached out. But again, the 95% of the people that you're reaching out to are, they're not real connections. Do you know what I mean? It's not people that you've known for years who's like, yeah, Chima's amazing. I need to hire Chima. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's yeah. a really soft connection. So, e- even that soft connection outweighs, I mean, a lot of people are going through this funnel you're able to cut yes. even with a soft connection yeah but the, the reason that i'm making caveat there is it's unlikely that you're going to get someone who you make a soft connection with to make take a big risk on you do you see what i'm saying so you don't lose the perception that when you make a soft connection with someone you're you're making sure that you're viewed yeah. right yeah. you're increasing your visibility but if what is being viewed is below par uh-huh you're not going to get past the process, right? There, there again is, uh, so this is, so, so I didn't mean to cut you off in your good, question, but the way that I prioritize it is number one is your experiences themselves, right? Is what you actually have, like what substantially you have, right? If you went to Harvard and you already are a PM at Google and you've done it for two years and you got promoted two times, you really don't need to do that much work to get a bunch of interviews. Do you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like you, you're, the substance is for the market so attractive that it's easy to, to mm. do you know what I'm saying? Okay. Like you don't need to do an intense amount of work. It's, people will, you'll get through that filter very, very easily. Got it, got it. Right? But so that, that, obviously the most important thing is the experiences. And you can kind of benchmark wherever you think your experiences are or like how good your experiences are and whatever you have. The next point is like the very next important point is your resume right because that's what people actually will look at like okay do we interview this person right that's where you have to very clearly tailor your experiences or make your experiences seem as good as possible Mm -hmm. right so that's where the difference is between like someone where they're like and again like this is where brand value goes very far right so like if i see that someone's a pm at google i'm like oh like you can do the job Right, you can probably do the job. Like, you can probably do the job at my company. Yeah. Um, whereas, if you don't have that experience, you have to demonstrate that you could do the job. You have to demonstrate that you have the skills to do the job, and to do that is where you have to make that resume very clear and distinctive, and showing someone I can do the job. Right. So, there's a lot of tips that you can give someone there, but you really want to have it be like evidence based. Like, what did you do that shows me that you can do the job? Um, you know, what kind of are the coolest experiences that you have on you? What's going to make me want to give you a chance? Right. So that's like the very first thing. Once you have that. And again, like I think like I really worked on my resume and like I think I knew that there was brand value with Capital One and where I worked at and being at Michigan and that kind of helped out. Right. So but I knew that I was just going to make these things uh, as well represented as possible on my resume. And when I did send my resume, I had like a 90 percent success rate. Right. So I made sure that like my success rate when I got to a level of the funnel was very high. Do you see what I'm saying? Because you could do all the work to get your uh, uh, resume seen by 
30 hiring managers, which is a lot, right? That's a, that, that would be a lot of work. But if your success rate then is like 10%, it's going to be tough. What's the point? Yeah. What's the point? So you really want to maximize that success rate by focusing on what you can focus on, which is the very first thing is your resume. And if you're in college doing this, make sure your experiences are good, right? Mm. You get one big name on your resume or you get one kind of indication that you can do the work. And it becomes a lot, lot easier. Um, if you're not at that stage, you're trying to get that first gig. You're trying to get that first role, trying to get the validation. That resume is so important because you can now demonstrate that like, take a chance on me. I have the skills and like, I can very clearly show you I have the skills. Like what I did actually is I found someone who I wanted to do what they were doing. And this is very early in the process. I was actually in the office with you. I, f- I was working on my resume, what, like six months ago? Yeah. So I found someone who was exactly where I wanted to be. He worked at Goldman and then he worked at Coinbase. Um, and so I was like, okay, like how did he do that? Like how did he, he went from investment banking into to PM and I like I, I wanted to figure out exactly how he did it. So I was like, okay, can I see your resume? Can I see how you demonstrate your experiences? So I really got to see like, okay, like what made, I knew what kind of what made this person attractive to companies, but I got to see exactly what it was. I got to see exactly what he highlighted, exactly how to do it. And I kind of built, and I changed my resume based off of that. And I ended up getting way more success after that. So the previous resume that I had wasn't getting nearly as much success when I was just kind of coldly trying to do it. When I did that and I was like, oh, bang, I'm way more confident in what I'm showing to the hiring managers because it's like, oh, like I know what I'm showing them is attractive. Mm. So if I can get to them, I can show them something is attractive, I'm going to get the interview, right? So that's the most important thing. Do that before you do anything else. Like make sure your resume is on point and make sure that like you benchmark it against people who have done, who are doing or have done exactly what you want to do, right? Like if you want to get into a certain role, benchmark your resume against people who are in that role, right? Maybe even benchmark that your resume against people who have similar experiences to you who have gotten into that role, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I also reached out to someone who was at Capital One who got into Facebook's RPM um, and I looked at, you know, what he did and and all that. So I knew kind of like what I needed to do to put myself at that level of like, oh, okay, like this one's someone person's attracted enough for us to interview. Because if you don't have that confidence going in, it doesn't matter if you, who you get to, they're gonna be like, oh, this person's not someone we want. You know, it doesn't matter who you talk to. You could talk to literally the hiring manager and they're like, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, that's a really good distinction that you made there. And I think as you were saying that, my mind is going to like just the parallels in actually setting up an effective funnel in small business, right? Like it's one thing to get people on your website, but then it's another thing to get people to convert. Yes, right. exactly. You can pay for ads. You can get people on your site. You can give Mm -hmm. influencers, but that's not necessarily going to convert into sales until what's on your website is actually captivating it. You communicate the value you provide to the customer. Exactly. Right. So it's the same concept there. It's interesting that you mentioned to benchmark yourself against other people. I think small businesses can do the same thing. Just look at other businesses that are doing well in your area, exactly. uh, in your industry, uh, and just see what they're saying and how are they communicating the value they provide and uh, kind of you know steal a page from their playbook. Yeah, I mean, this really is personal branding. Like, one, do you, is your product val- valuable? Are you valuable as a candidate? Okay, can you then like make the actual um, advertisement accurately demonstrate the value of your product as efficiently as possible. So you want to work on the actual advertisement and make it really good before you put it in front of anyone, right? Then you can work on like, okay, how do I most efficiently get to the right people, you know, to do advertisements? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's literally... So really, really, and I think LinkedIn is the difference between targeted advertising versus... Let me just throw flyers everywhere, which is what which is what online uh, applications are. Let me just throw my flyer into people's mailboxes, like mm-hmm. you know. An online application is just like a company's mailbox, and people are throwing their applications in their mailbox. Do you really want to do that, or do you want to put it directly in front of someone's face? Mm-hmm. But again, you got to remember the actual advertisement and the actual product have to be good. So once you've set those things, you can kind of focus on that. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to kind of get into here is on the note of having those brands on your resume, right? Yeah. Like you kind of touched on this here a little bit. Um, you mentioned, you know, you have Michigan and then your experience at Capital One. How, I guess, let's start with how important is it to have a couple of those and what difference it makes in the actual process. And then for someone that's in college, that's looking to get some of that, like let's say I have nothing, right? Like I don't even know what I want to do with my career. How do I start getting those experiences that I can put on my resume uh, 
and you know leverage those for more opportunities so i'll say that the value of brand is two one is the general perception that people have of it and the second is if there's people who have a commonality with that brand that you can connect with so the first thing i did actually you know when i was in my job search was i looked for people at capital one who had left right i looked for people that had been my role and they had left and that was really easy. Like I found a bunch of those hiring managers and I think I had like a 95% success rate with those people. Why? Because they knew exactly what type of work I did. They knew exactly that like, you know, me, my promotion schedule and everything demonstrated that I did good work. And once I reached out to them, they were like, oh yes, definitely. Um, you know, we love people from Capital One. We would love That's what the recruiter sounds like. No, it wasn't recruiters, it was hiring managers. Oh, hiring managers. Yeah. yeah, they were they were excited. They were all excited to, those were the earliest interviews I got and they were easy. And actually like, I got interviews for stuff that I wasn't qualified for. So like one of the people that I hired had moved. He was a vice president at Capital One, moved to another company, um, and he was hiring for senior product managers. So it's like eight years of experience. To reach out to him, I was like, oh, I'm interested, blah, blah, blah. He's like, okay, like reach out to the recruiter. You'll be set up tomorrow. And why? Because purely from Capital One. Again, another, uh, it was like another two or three people. They were all like, oh, okay, like we love Capital One. People love to, to get you in. So that was the easiest funnel to get in, right? And so again, like you have to remember that works with, companies really really well like if you have alumni from companies that you're working with or people that are hiring them directly in the company they know your work directly they know what you're doing they know exactly who you are so it's super easy to reach out to them um with schools it's a little bit less impactful but still impactful if you, you reach out to like a fellow u of m alumni or a fellow i went to wayne state to a fellow wayne state alumni um that's a good place to connect and again that goes to like how much camaraderie there actually is in the school and like mm-hmm. how much people are wanting to help you because you went to the same school with them it's a little bit different because like just because i went to u of m doesn't mean that i know how much how good someone is in certain major versus how good someone is in certain it's a different it's a different yeah, process yeah. right it's a very different type of understanding of people's uh, capabilities and stuff like that um but that that has helped too like one of the other people that i reached out to a bunch of the people that i reached out to for, for referrals were just people from michigan and they were willing to do that and again it did, i think that's a benefit of going to um some of these schools that are you know, higher ranked or you know more well respected in you know the corporate world is there's a lot more people that are willing to help you those people are willing to go out of their way to help you and then the next thing is a general perception of that degree is better like if you look at someone who got a 4.0 in physics at harvard you're gonna go probably pretty capable of doing the job they've been through again it's a funnel thing right they've been through enough funnels and been at the top of enough funnels that it looks like i can you know move them top of this funnel um so that's something to think about that's something that that is definitely you know you want to you know recognize um but again like you if you don't have those things it doesn't mean like oh you're screwed or you can't do anything those things again just make it easier right makes you have to deal with less bs to get to where you want to get to right Mm -hmm. because you have to deal with the bs of getting into a really good school and getting a good gpa and doing all those things it then subverts you from having to deal with more bs when you're trying to get through this one like if you don't have those things you now have to be more creative you have to be like okay like I'm going to have a lower success rate on these messages that I, you know, send out to people objectively. So I'm going to have to send a lot more messages. I'm going to have to do a lot more of this network. I'm going to have to work harder to get someone to give me a chance. Mm. Just the way that things work. Um, but again, like once you get that first thing on your resume, once you get that first thing that kind of validates you, you're kind of in a good, good place. So like this, where you go to school matters more the earlier you are in your career. But for example, you get into, and you can testify to this too. I can testify to this. You can do a Capital One. You can do an Amazon. It doesn't really matter that much how many did you where you went to school. It just matters where you benchmark compared to your peers, right? right. And that 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 kind of the the thing that people look at is your most recent brand, your most recent thing that is is on your resume, um, because it already demonstrates to people that like this person has successfully been through the funnel at one level, and so now they're at the same level as those other people. It doesn't really matter what you did before, it, right? So, yeah, one thing that you keep highlighting, and I want to make sure the audience is getting this, is that. Um, you know, brand is shortcut for decision making. Yes. Right? So, like yep. one thing that Safwan mentioned is like, if I'm hiring and I, I have a PM that went to Google, I'm like, I don't have to do my due diligence as much. I'm like, okay, if Google trusts him to do the job, yeah, he could probably do the job for me too. Which right? is the same thing for schools too. Yeah. That's why people care so much. And like in the business world, it's such a big deal where you went to school because it's like, okay, like it's harder to get into Harvard than it is to get into Wayne State. 
Yeah. Again, like I went to Wayne State, so I'm not cooking on Wayne State. But it's harder to get harder to get into Harvard than it is getting Wayne State. I'm not gonna do the work to like really understand how capable this candidate is. It's a good indication that I'm gonna. And, and and that's the thing that we as human beings we make shortcuts to figure out how capable another human being is, and a lot of that comes down to brand value of like where they went to school or what they did or blah blah. blah. And um, that's again why like people look at your resume in less than 15 seconds, and so a lot of times they're just looking at brand brand. Okay, that's it. Yeah, I'm just, like, like I know because I've done resume reviews, and once you see like 500 resumes in front of you, you're really just looking for where they go to school, what's their GPA, where do they do their internship? Okay, do I have to do more research? There better be something in here that's like crazy. Okay, mm-hmm. and then again, you're grading. you and when you get a bunch of resumes, you're benchmarking people against other people, right? Two identical candidates, one who went away better school, is going to have. An, an edge. It's just yeah. it's just how it works. I, I think people don't like hearing it a lot of times, but it's just that's firsthand experience. That's how things work in in, in in the way this in in the business, I guess, recruiting world. Yeah. No. No. I think like the reality is that we're making these decisions all the time. Not not just for like recruiting, but like I mean, this is what this podcast is about, right? Like, yeah. So we can go, get into that. Listen to some of our other episodes, but like we we are making these decisions based on. Uh, you know what we believe is is going to be the right decision, right? Yeah. and so that's not always right. So for the people that are listening, don't necessarily have that brand value attached to your resume. Like, it doesn't mean that you can't do something. Exactly. Right. Like, it doesn't don't mean get you're not discouraged. Capable. Yeah. But what it does mean is that you have to understand like where the people that are the gatekeepers are. Yes. Like their perspective, right? And once yep. you understand their perspective, then you can work at, okay, how do I demonstrate my value to them, right? It's a different marketing strategy that you have to take, right? Like, for example, if we bring it back to small businesses, if I have a small business and I've done client work for Fortune 500 companies, I can just put that stuff on my website. Yeah. And I don't think I'll have a very, like, I'll probably have a steady stream of clients coming. Exactly, exactly. Whereas if I'm trying to start something up from the ground and I don't have any big clients yet, Right now, I got to do some extra work to figure out how exactly. I communicate my value to the people that I want to work with, yep. uh, and convince them to trust their hard-earned money on this service that I'm providing. So it's it's just a different game, um, and I think it's definitely important to understand that if you don't have that experience, there is still ways to kind of get through that. And um, of course, again, it becomes a num- numbers game because there's so many applicants. Right, everyone's trying for the same jobs even these people that went to these top schools are applying the same yeah things and stuff like that and also i made that decision when i was at wayne state too i was a senior i was like okay like maybe i can start to try and recruit for consulting right now it's like oh objectively it doesn't make sense none of these companies recruit at wayne state um none of them come here none of the places that i want to work at are going to come here i need to go somewhere where the brand value is good enough that those companies will even consider me and that's why i did like the one-year masters in michigan it, you know it was really just to get my name in front of companies that i wanted to work at right so when I was there, like the McKinsey, Bain, BCGs, Capital One wasn't recruiting at Wayne State. There was like a very limited select list of schools that they were recruiting at. Um, and so I, for me, it was just like, okay, this is a shortcut to get to where I want to get to. Um, and so I think you have to realize that like you you got to make some of those jumps, right? But like yep. you make one of those jumps, then the next jump becomes easier. Right? I think you can attest to it's a lot easier for you to get interviews at companies you want to work at with Amazon in your resume than if you had nothing on your resume. Yeah, I don't right? even I don't I don't do any of the stuff that you're talking about. Yeah. I just go through the online portal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um what I will say is that, you know, that second piece that you mentioned, right? Like that is the passive it's not passive necessarily, but that's kind of like the passive way of just kind of trying to make it to the top of the funnel. The second piece you mentioned is the active ways. Like you still find something, you know, find like a shared experience you have. You can still take control of your career yeah, and take control of the brand perception you have by creating conversations and connections yeah. with people. Right. And I think that's super important to yeah. highlight here. So yeah, the, the, all of the tactics that I'm sharing are just increasing your percentage rate of success compared to, other candidates with your same level of experience, right? So if I'm benchmarking myself against people that have similar experiences to me and I do what Tafan is telling me to do, I'm going to have more success than all of those people, likely, right? So that's just putting me ahead of people at my same level and then utilizing that over time is going to help you move up, you know, a lot more quickly in, in terms of uh, what you're trying to do in the job search. 
Awesome. Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot that was covered in here. And I think there's a lot of value for not just for people that are trying to apply for jobs, making career switches and stuff like that. And even just sliding into the DMs on LinkedIn. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, I know I gave you a little bit of a hard time. No, so, uh, no. Thanks I'm for honored. Me. I'm honored. So I found an article that says for an average online job posting, a thousand individuals will see the job post. 200 will begin the application process. 100 will complete the application. 75 of those 100 resumes will be screened out by either the ATS or a recruiter. 25 will be seen by the hiring manager. Four to six will be invited for an interview. One to three of them will be invited back for a final interview. One will be offered that job and 80% of those receiving an offer will accept it. I thought that was crazy. I know a lot of times we have a negative connotation about skipping the line, but in this analogy, I think it is really worth it to take Safwan's advice and skip the line. <laughs> now, as always, I have my key takeaways from this episode, but before we get into that, I want to share a clip with you from our episode with Chris Blauvelt on LaunchGood. Why should someone use your company, your platform, versus one of the established players out there? Um, and there's always going to be an opportunity when it comes to personalized service. It's not scalable, um, at least early on, but that's okay, right? Because one of those other kind of aphorisms of Paul Graham is, is do things that don't scale. Early on, do things that don't scale. You know, it's, it, and it doesn't last forever. Like, you know, Brian didn't, doesn't still take photographs of people's apartments, right? Um, but you know what they have done for Airbnb? They've set up a whole network of photographers that if you're listing your place on Airbnb, it's really easy to find a photographer in your location that can do the photographs um, for like you know a couple hundred bucks. And this is what they do, right? And so you'll find those opportunities to scale if you've created something of value. If you enjoyed this discussion with Safwan, I am sure you will enjoy the discussion with Chris. Check it out wherever you're listening to this episode. It is episode number 28. Now here are my key takeaways. Number one, start shooting your shot. Find people in the positions you want to be in and figure out what you need to do to get there. And number two, your resume gets looked at for less than 15 seconds. Having brands that are big in the industry on your resume will help you increase your perceived value in the eyes of the recruiters. If you don't have brand names on your resume, it's not a lost cause. It just means you have to employ a different marketing strategy. And that is all for this episode. If you enjoyed this discussion, please consider leaving a review and sharing with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.